Ephesians chapter 1. When you get it, say, got it. Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, we'll be starting in verse 15. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Paul the Apostle here is writing to the church in Ephesus, the church with which a few years prior, him along with Aquila and Priscilla had started, probably about seven years prior to this letter. Most likely, Paul at this point is in prison in Rome. And like any good shepherd, like your shepherd even today, probably even at this very moment, he often labored in prayer for his sheep. He often labored in prayer for his church. In Paul's case, churches. And so we see all throughout his different letters, little uh, glimpses into his prayer life for the church. And here in Ephesians chapter 1, we get just a taste of one of those prayers today. Let's read a part of that prayer in Ephesians 1, starting in verse 17, right after what we just read. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, at his right hand in the heavenly places. Verse 21, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for your word today. Lord, we thank you so much that you've recorded it and kept it restored for us. Thank you that every scripture is profitable. And it's meant for our reproof and our rebuke and the building up of your church. Lord, we thank you for this little passage right here. And we thank you that you want to speak to us today through it. And so, Lord, all of us, your kids, sons and daughters, we're all in different places in our lives. Some of us are just victorious and succeeding with you. Some of us are having a really hard time and are doubting and are wanting to give up. Lord, you know where we're at. You're our Father. You're our Lover. You're our Savior. So we ask that as you look into our hearts and our lives, that you'd speak into them today. We open our ears. We open our minds. We lay aside our any preconceived ideas of what we think you're going to do in our lives today. And we ask that you'd teach us and minister to us by your Word, by your Spirit. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul's request here in verses 17 through 21 was basically that the church would know God better. If you could sum it all up, it would be 
that they would know God better. This is what I'm desiring for us today. By the time we're done with this word, by the time we're done with the service, that we leave here today knowing our God better. It's what Britt desires for this church even this morning as he's away. That we'd leave, that we'd walk to, back to our houses or ride our bikes to our houses or drive our cars back to our houses or to lunch or whatever with better knowledge of who God is. Knowing Him in a, a more intimate way. And this is what we ought to desire for one another. This is what we ought to pray for one another every day. Husbands, this is what we ought to be praying for our wives. Wives, this is what we ought to be praying for our husbands. And those of us who have kids, that we ought to be praying for our kids. Not just, man, I hope they make friends at school, or I hope they do better in soccer. But, man, that they'd know the Lord better. This is what friends ought to be praying for one another. Boyfriends for girlfriends, girlfriends for boyfriends. This is what the family of God ought to be praying every day for one another. That we would know the Lord better. This is even what we ought to be praying for ourselves. We know that Paul did. We know that Moses did. You look into Philippians chapter 3 and Paul says there, just Lord, that I may know you. That I may know you. And in Exodus 33, when Moses is asking God to show him his glory, same thing, Lord, I just want to know you. I just want to know you. We can also be sure that if the Holy Spirit led Paul the Apostle not only to pray this, but to pen it, that God himself is desiring that we would know him better. God himself is desiring that we would know him better. Verse 17. It says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. By the way, I'm reading out of the New King James Version of the Bible in case it's a little bit different than yours. That the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Paul's requesting that God would give to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Wisdom and revelation. Wisdom. It's when you apply what you know or have learned to a situation. Wisdom is, is having good judgment. You know who's a really wise person is, is Pastor G. If you've ever spent some time with him, uh, it's not just that he's smart or something or that he, he knows a bunch of stuff, but he's able to take knowledge and what he's learned and apply it to a situation to better the circumstances. Revelation, to re- reveal. It means to uncover something, to unveil something. It's the manifestation of that which was previously unknown or hidden. The manifestation of that which was previously unknown or hidden. And church, don't we all want God to reveal more of himself to us? Don't we all want God to reveal more of his word to us, more of his heart to us, more of his character to us, to open our eyes to see things that we've never seen before, to reveal uh, reveal himself in a fresh new way? Do you want that? Because the Lord wants it for us. Not that we're looking for some kind of extra biblical revelation, but that we would know all that he has for us. This wisdom and revelation is found, check out the end of verse 17, 
in the knowledge of Him. It is found in the knowledge of Him. God desires that we would know Him better. This wisdom and revelation is found in knowing Him better. This has been God's desire from the beginning. Last time I, I taught from this pulpit, maybe a year and a half ago, we talked about the new covenant. We looked at Jeremiah chapter 31. That it was a three-part covenant. And that Jesus, with His blood, purchased that covenant on the cross. And if you remember, one of the three parts was this very thing that we would know God. When God said in Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-four, No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. And you may remember that this Hebrew word for know is the the word yada. It speaks of absolute intimacy. It's the same word that's used when Adam went in and knew his wife Eve. It speaks of the most intimate act that two human beings can experience together. And God, speaking into human lives, chose to use this word to describe how he wanted to relate to us. How he wanted to know us. What his relationship with us ought to look like. That it would be that of intimacy. That of sweet communion with him. Jesus died on the cross so that we could know God intimately. Now here in Ephesians 1... This word knowledge in verse 17, uh, or, or to know, is the Greek word epinosis. It means to by experience, to become fully acquainted with someone or something. By experience, to become fully acquainted with something or someone. It's the same idea, though, that we would know God better. What's cool about this Not only is this wisdom and revelation found in the knowledge of God, but it leads to the knowledge of God. It's like this really cool circle of growing as a Christian and walking with God. See, wisdom and revelation, as God reveals more wisdom to us and gives us more wisdom and reveals more things to us about who He is, It causes us to see Him in a better light. And as we see Him in a better light, it causes us to know more of who He is and to know Him better. But see, as we begin to know Him better and understand His character more, and as we get closer to His heart, then the Lord reveals things to us which were previously unseen and unknown. And He gives us fresh new wisdom and fresh revelation of who He is. And as He gives us fresh revelation, it causes us to see Him in a brand new light. And as we see Him in a brand new light, it causes us to know Him even better. And as we get to know Him better, He reveals more wisdom and revelation and so on and so forth. And it's just this cool, continual circle of growing in our relationship with the Lord. But how does this happen? How does this Uh, knowledge of Him happen? How does this growing with Him happen? How does this becoming more intimate in our relationship with Him happen? Well, like it says in verse 18, God enlightens the eyes of our understanding. God enlightens the eyes of our understanding. Paul prayed there 
That the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened. Literally, the eyes of your heart would be open. That's what we sing when we sing that song. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I used to think when I was a kid, I'd be like, man, what's that song about? There's like eyes on my heart and I'm asking the Lord to open them. But it's really, Lord, would you, would you reveal yourself to me? Would you allow my heart to see you? Enlighten my heart, Lord, that I might know you better. We cannot know or understand the things of God unless he reveals them to us. That's why Paul was asking God to open the eyes of our understanding or to enlighten the eyes of our understanding because it is something that he does. You want to know more of who God is? He has to reveal himself to you. You can't just figure him out. You can't just be like, man, well, it seems like every time the Lord does something, he does it like this. So I'm pretty sure this time the Lord's going to do it just the same way. I got it all figured out. I got my, I love like stats and numbers and stuff. I'm all about it. I'll stay up till like three o'clock in the morning just getting statistics of like how many times my daughter said something in a day or, you know what I mean? I just love statistics, but we can't figure out the Lord and his ways. God reveals such things to us. We can't understand the ways of God, the will of God, or the word of God unless he reveals them to us. In Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In 1 Corinthians 2, 9, it says, I have not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And we often stop right there in 1 Corinthians 2, 9. And we're like, man, trip out. I guess the Lord just knows stuff and we don't and that's the end of it. And we kind of stop there. We neglect to read verse 10. But verse 10 says, But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. So, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed them to us us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Yes, His ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are greater than ours. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are His ways and our ways and His thoughts than our thoughts. We can't understand or comprehend the mind of the Lord. It's too great to fathom who God is. However, God loves to reveal Himself to us. Our God is not a selfish, secret-keeping God. Just, I'm God, dude, and you guys don't know anything, and I got got one up on you or whatever. That's, That's not the kind of God that we serve. He wants to reveal His heart to us. He's not obligated to, and he may not, or he may, but not in our timing or in our way, but he does want to reveal himself, his word, sometimes his ways, and often his will to us. 
But it has to be Him that does it. No matter how much you strive or try to muster it up, it is God who reveals Himself to us. It is God who reveals His Word to us. You may feel like every time you open the Bible that it's just dry and dead and lifeless and there's not an ounce of fresh revelation in it for your life. Every time in 2008 that you took out that little one-year Bible thing and you're like, all right, what, what are we reading today? And, oh man, Leviticus chapter 7 or whatever. And you, you'd read it and, gosh, man, there's no, there's, no, there's no life in this for me. Lord, I, I feel dry in your word right now. 2008 may have been defined by anything but richness and revelation in God's word. You may just feel like, dude, I'm, I'm over it. I'm over it, man. It's just a waste of my time. There's nothing good in it. I might as well read some other novel or whatever. It's, there's no life in it. Well, I'll tell you what. In 2008, it's a different season. It's a different time. It's time for us to press into the Lord and believe that His Word is living and active and powerful. And believe that all Scripture is given for the building up of the church, for our reproof and rebuke. That through His Word, He wants to sanctify us. Through His Word, He wants to teach us and admonish us. He wants to care for us and love us and comfort us through His Word. And we've got to believe it, church. Even if you don't feel it, we've got to believe it. The Lord wants to reveal Himself to us through His Word. And if you don't feel like it, can't we join with the psalmist in saying, in one night, like he said in 119 verse 18, Lord, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your word. That can be our prayer. Lord, I obviously don't see it by myself. I'm having a hard time seeing those wondrous things, Lord, by myself. Won't you open my eyes so I can see the wonderful, awesome things found in your word? Verse 18, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power. In the middle there, it says, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. This word to know uh, is not the same Greek word as the other, epinosis. It just simply means to understand, to, to know something, to be able to comprehend something. To comprehend what? To be aware of what? The hope. The hope, uh, that is the assurance, the confidence, the expectation. That we would be aware of the expectation, the confidence of what? Of His calling. God desires that me and you would be aware of His calling. Rather, be aware of the hope of His calling. Well, what's His calling? What's He talking about here? What is His calling for us, the church as a whole? It's really simple. It's this. That we would live with Him now and forever. 
that we would live with Him now and forever. Now, experiencing His presence, His love, His peace, His comfort, His power, His victory, His life, walking with Him, serving Him, knowing Him better. And forever? What's forever? The new heaven, the new earth, our new bodies, ruling and reigning with Jesus, eternal life, with no pain, with no guilt, no tears, no struggle, just life, just relationship with God. That is His calling, that we would live with Him now and forever. This is why God sent His Son to die for us. So we could walk in this calling. God's Son didn't die for me so that I could do what I'm doing right now. As cool as it is, as holy of a calling as it is, God did not send His Son to die for me so that I could teach the Bible. You know, we're in the studio right now, the band and I, working on our first full-length album. And uh, we've been in the studio for like eight months. And I love it. I love writing stuff. I love expressing my heart and God in my life through rock reggae music. It's, it's one of my favorite things that I get to do. And I know that it's a calling on my life. I know that that's part of God's calling on my life. And I know He's called me to be out in these secular venues like we get to play in, in these bars and clubs and big showcases with big secular bands, ministering the love of God. I know that's a calling on my life. But it's so easy in that to get consumed and wrapped up and kind of blinded by it that I forget what the Lord initially sent His Son to die for me for. See, that is a calling. That's not the calling. That is a calling. And as awesome and as holy as it may seem or is, it's not the calling. And it's not... His calling that is spoken of here. See, for us as a church, and us as the church worldwide, and us as Christians individually, the calling of the Lord that is spoken of here is simply that we'd walk with Him, that we'd know Him, that we'd live with Him in this life, now, and forevermore. This is why God sent His Son to die on a cross for us. And in this is hope. That we would know the hope of His calling. You may feel like you are without hope this morning. Well, you either need to grab hold of Christ for the first time, or maybe you already have Him, but you just let go. You need to grab hold of Him once again. Because in knowing Him, in living with Him and for Him now and forever, that's where hope is at. That's where hope is at. Hope is not in, man, I hope someday my wife and I have enough money to buy a house in Carpinteria, which will probably never happen. That, that's, not, that's not hope. It's not, man, I, I hope my kids do really good at school this year, grow up to, to be cool kids and marry nice people. It's not that hope. Those things are, are vain hopes. They're futile. 
But our hope is set in Jesus Christ. I said our hope is set in Jesus Christ. If somebody believes me, say amen. And our hope is found in walking with him. Now at the end of verse 18, it says that we would know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Riches of the glory. He's speaking of value and honor. Of his inheritance in the saints. Let's just trip out on this for a second. Did you know that not only do we have an inheritance in God, but we are an inheritance to God? Not only, it is sweet, do we have an inheritance in God, but we are an inheritance to God. I mean, the God of the universe, what, what, what? Why does he need to inherit something? You inherit something that you don't have, that's not yours. An inheritance that is left to you by a father or mother that passes away or a a brother or aunt or whatever. It's something that wasn't yours and it's left to you. But God, why does he need an inheritance? Why does he need an inheritance? What's crazy about this inheritance is we were God's. He created us to be his. And we sold ourselves to the slave market of sin when we chose to rebel against him. And so we were separated from him. And you know the story, it's the gospel. But what's crazy about that is we were initially God's. We were his. He made us. And he had to pay to get us back. And that's what's different about our inheritance and God's inheritance. See, we didn't pay a dime for our inheritance. God paid for our inheritance. As well as for His inheritance. He paid with the blood of His Son. He didn't pay with silver or gold. He didn't pay with precious stones, but with the precious blood of the Lamb. That's what He paid to purchase us. We were important enough that he would purchase us with his own blood. The end of verse 18 is basically saying that God wants us to know and understand that he values and honors us as his inheritance. It's like a trophy. A trophy proves that you did something great. A trophy proves you won the marathon. You defeated the opponent. You won the game. You came out on top. You were victorious. A trophy proves that you did something great. We are like trophies to God, proving that He has done something great. We are like trophies to God, proving that He has done something great. I mean, you look at yourself and you're like, Lord, are are you sure? (laughs) I'm a trophy for you, the God of the universe? I I know what I look like inside and outside, Lord. I mean, for God, understand, for God to get a trophy, it's got to be pretty amazing, right? 
I mean, you get a gold medal, you're stoked because how many people have like gold at their house besides a, a wedding ring or something or some earrings? So you're excited, but God? What's good enough to be a trophy for God that would demonstrate that he's done something great? The only thing that's a trophy to God is the changed life of a man or a woman. And to God and to those around you, that is the greatest thing. That is the greatest thing. A transformed life. That testifies of God's greatness. God saving us proves that He is great. God saving us proves that He has great love for us. In Ephesians 1, verses 5 and 6, just earlier on in this chapter, it says, God predestined us to adoption as sons, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace. Basically, it's saying we were adopted by God so that the greatness of His grace might be honored. We were adopted by God so that the greatness of His grace might be honored. God's will, God's plan, God's ways, God's word will always glorify His name and magnify His greatness. They'll always, excuse me, glorify His name and magnify His greatness. Read verse 19 with me. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe? according to the working of His mighty power. That we would know what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe. The unfathomable, great, the unfathomable greatness of God's power is working toward us, in us, for us, and on, and on our behalf. God's power is working in us, toward us, for us, and on our behalf. What kind of power? What kind of power is God talking about here? Let's read verses, uh, let's read 19 again and read through 21. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His mighty power? Here's the power. The power which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places far above all principalities and powers and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. What kind of power? It's the kind of power that rose Jesus from the dead and conquered death. It's the kind of power by which He ascended into heaven and has sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, where He continually lives to make intercession for us. It is the kind of power by which He is seated in the heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers, far above all rulers and dominions, far above every name that is named both in heaven and on earth. And it's the kind of power that has caused us to be seated with Him, as it says later on in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, in the heavenly places far above all principalities and powers, far above all rulers and dominions, far above every name that is named both in heaven and on earth. The kind of power that God is talking about here is the kind of power that has taken away our sins, our shame and the sting of death, that has taken away the weapons of our adversary, the devil. 
The kind of power that can take a broken life and make it whole again, church. Take a hard heart and make it feel again. That can take a filthy mind and make it pure again. This kind of power that is working for us is the kind of power that cleanses you of a guilty conscience. The kind of power that turns ashes into beauty. That turns mourning and sorrow into dancing and singing. That turns burlap into cashmere. That exchanges freedom for bondage and liberty for shackles. The kind of power that turns our valleys of trouble into doorways of hope, like we saw in the book of Joshua. It's the kind of power that renews and restores, revives and reforms, it rejuvenates and regenerates. It's the kind of power that gives hope to the hopeless and comfort to the broken. Are you brokenhearted this morning? Are you hurting? Are you without hope? Do you know that the Bible says that God is near to the brokenhearted? This is the kind of power that gives comfort to the brokenhearted. The kind of power that gives a song to the deaf. The kind of power that gives a painting to the blind man. It gives a dance to the lame man and to the speechless. It gives a rhyme. The kind of power that will carry us through every trial, tribulation, and turmoil. That will cause us to stand in the midst of persecution and warfare. The power that God is speaking of is the kind of power by which our salvation began. By which our sanctification is working and by which our glorification will someday be. And this is the same power that Jesus spoke of in Acts chapter 1 when he said... And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The kind of power that causes us to be his witnesses. It's not just power for spiritual gifts, which is awesome and causes us to be his witnesses. But it is power to live for him and unto him. Power to be a testimony for him. This is the kind of power that we have in Christ Jesus. Many of us have it. And sadly this morning we're just not experiencing it. We're just not walking in it. If that's you and your life has been defined by complacency or laziness. If your walk with God is stagnant. You know, maybe you need to get on your face before Him today. Maybe you need to repent before Him today. You know, we have the carpets up here. and It's not because they look cool or we thought they were pretty or something. But the reason we have them here and, and you see or you do come get on your face is because we see in the Bible that every time... Almost every time a person uh, uh, heard a word from the Lord or God sent an angel to speak to them, they, they'd fall on their faces. And you know, the word worship in the Old Testament is the word shakha. And every time it's used, it's the same word, uh, except for like two occasions. This word shakha means to fall on your face prostrate in worship and homage before a king or a deity. 
to prostrate oneself in worship, in adoration before a king or a deity. God is worthy of it. And I don't know, I don't know what happens. I don't know what it is. It's kind of weird. But something happens in the heart of a man or a woman when we will humble ourselves physically before the Lord. And if you've ever done it, you know exactly what I mean. There's something that happens when our hearts line up with our bodies in humbling ourselves before the Lord. And when you put your face in the carpet, whether it's here or at home or whatever, something happens in our, in our hearts. Maybe it's because there, there's no lower that we can get. You know, it's like, all right, Lord, I, I'm helpless kind of right now. My face is in the carpet. I can't do anything else. There's nowhere else for you to be, Lord, but above me, but exalted above me. And it's like the Lord says, all right, son, okay, now we can talk. Now we can talk. Now you're at my feet. We can finally talk. You've, you've let everything else go. and You've humbled yourself before me. Now we can commune. Now I can speak into your life like I wanted to. Maybe you need to get on your face before him today. Maybe you need to do business with him and you don't need to get on your face. That's cool. There's no weird spiritual religious pressure to do that. But maybe he's calling you to repent today. and Maybe you need to turn from laziness. Maybe you're not experiencing his power. You just need to come before him and say, Lord, I need you. I need you today. Some of us don't have this power and we need it. Jesus said in regards to the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, Keep seeking, keep asking, keep knocking. Ask and you will receive. He was talking about the Holy Spirit when he said that. So ask of the Lord today. Lord, I need you. I need your power. Maybe you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I need to be baptized with your Holy Spirit. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I need your power to be your witness. What kind of power? It's the kind of power we just talked about. It's the kind of power that rose Jesus from the dead. Listen, is Jesus risen, church? Yes. And did he ascend into heaven? Yes. The same power by which he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, God is saying, I want to work in your life. I want to work that power in your life today. I mean, that's some power, people. And the God of the universe wants to work it in our lives. Maybe today you don't know Jesus. Today you need to experience that resurrection power. You need to experience the resurrected life that is found only in the resurrected one. His name is Jesus. For the Christian, when we first believed in Jesus... God had to work that resurrection power in our lives to resurrect us from spiritual death into spiritual life. To resurrect us from the pit of spiritual death into life. And now, maybe it's not the pit of spiritual death, but maybe it's the, the pit of discouragement. Maybe you're just so discouraged, you just want to give up. You've been waiting on the Lord, you've been waiting on the Lord, but you're tired of waiting. 
you're tired and exhausted of waiting. You're discouraged. Maybe you feel defeated because you can't seem to be victorious over that thing. Maybe today it's that you're full of doubt. Or spiritual drought has gotten a hold of you. The Lord wants to revive you. The Lord wants to revive you. Let's not allow ourselves to be like most of the church in America. Not for the sake of not being like most of the church in America. But when I say that, I mean in the sense that so much of the American Christian church is defined by laziness and complacency. We come to church because it's like, yeah, the Lord will be stoked with me if I go to church. He'll let me into heaven or something. If that's you today, I'm begging you to repent. Please repent of your lazy, complacent Christian life. Please, please, please repent. If you're not going to repent, honestly, stop coming to church. Leave that seat for someone else. There's a bunch of college kids coming back in a couple weeks that are going to need somewhere to sit. Stay at home if you don't want to grow in Jesus. Honestly, the Lord said, if you want to walk in a lukewarm life, I'll spew you out of my mouth. I will spit you out of my mouth. If you don't want to repent, then stay at home until you're ready to walk with Jesus. Come back when you're ready for the Lord. Because today is the day. Just like when you got saved, that was the day of salvation. Today is the day to not walk in complacency any longer. Today is the day to not walk in laziness any longer. And the Lord, if you're in that place, He wants to work His resurrection power in you to raise you up out of that pit of deadness and drought and despair. He wants to raise us up out of that so we can walk in newness of life once again. Amen? Or maybe for you it's that the circumstances are just too hard. Man, the fire is just too hard, Dom. It's just too hot. It's too crazy. It's too much. The tribulation is it's too hard to bear. The circumstances are overwhelming. Well, we need the ascension power of Jesus then. The ascension power of the Father, rather. That, that power that rose Jesus, uh, ascended Jesus into heaven. The power that can cause us to rise above the circumstances. As opposed to being under them and weighed down by them. That we could rise above the circumstances and be seated with Christ in the heavenly places so we can look down on what's going on and rise above it in Christ. That we would no longer be slaves to the circumstances. You know, it says that Christ is seated far above all principalities and powers. So you've got angels and demons, principalities and powers. And you've got Christ seated in the heavenly places, right? But did you know that here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, it says that he has raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus? That we are with Christ Jesus? We often think that it's Christ, principalities and powers, us. And it's this... That's the level of of where we're seated at in relation to each other. But the Bible tells us that we are seated 
Christian, with Christ Jesus in the heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers. Can somebody say amen? Amen. That means we can rise above these circumstances. You can rise above the lies from the enemy, the temptation from him. He may just be having a heyday with you, just rocking your world. You don't have to be a slave to that. You do not have to be a slave to that because you are in Christ Jesus, seated in the heavenly places far above all principalities and powers. This is the kind of power that God wants to work in us, toward us, for us, and on our behalf. Today, if you need that power, maybe you need to come and just be with the Lord a little bit. Don't leave. Don't get up and, and, and walk out just because the music started. God wants to meet with you. He wants to be with you. Maybe today you just need to rejoice in Him and say, Wow, Lord, I'm your trophy. That's really cool. I want to know you better. Whatever it is, you, you know, and God wants to be with you. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the life therein. The power therein. It's so good and so rich. It's perfect. Your word, Lord. So we ask that you take all the things you've spoken to us through it. Lord, if I said anything contrary to what you'd want us to hear, we ask that you'd erase that from our memories. And Lord, that you would take what you've shown us and you just plant it deep in our hearts, Lord. And that now we'd be able to do business for you or with you. We, we'd be able to thank you where you need to be thanked, to call on you where we need to call on you, to repent where we need to repent, Lord, to rejoice where we need to rejoice. Cause us, Lord, to fall more in love with you. Our hearts, our lives are yours. For the taking, Lord, take them. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.